if you want to come back and take a seat, we're going to get ready to read the Bible together. If you have a black church Bible, we're going to look at page 943. We're reading from Acts 17 this afternoon, starting at sentence 16. So here at City Light, uh, we read and study the Bible every week because we believe that it's actually God's word to us, um, especially as it's taught clearly, which they do most of the time here, which we love. All of the time, I mean. All right, starting at sentence 16 through to the rest of the chapter. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Others replied, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nation of men to live all over the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of you, some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offsprings. Being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we will hear about this again. So Paul went out from their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, Areopagate, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of God. 
Well, good afternoon. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to have you here. We do hope you enjoy your time at City Lights. Uh, great to have Ebs up here emceeing, right? Even though she... Um, hope you had a good week. Uh, I had a great week. Um, this Friday, my wife and I celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary. Yeah. Pretty special. Um, <laughs> so on thir- this Thursday and Friday, uh, last Thursday and Friday, there's a lady at Morning Church named Amanda Woods. She works as the manager at the Shangri-La Hotel. And she just hooked us up massively, like upgraded us to the highest, the best room. Our view was amazing. Uh, early check-in, late check-out, um, got us everything. It was amazing. So uh, I've got a lot of husband points lately, which is pretty cool. So... Um, uh, she's amazing. So you want hookups? Amanda Woods is your girl at City Light. There you go. Um, but we're about to uh, we're about to dive into the Bible as we do every week. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll look at Acts 17 together. Uh, God, you you are the one who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the and the Omega. Father, there is nothing outside of you, and we pray that as we come to your Word now and sit under it, that you would speak to us, that you would address us individually. Lord, we believe that you speak and you are alive and you work powerfully through your Holy Spirit. We want to thank you that as we gather here this afternoon, you promised to be here. And Lord, we want to pray that this would not just be another sermon, another church service where we sit and just, and just listen, but we want to pray that you would, you would speak to us and we would leave here understanding more of your glory, understanding how amazing you are and understanding your grace and how much you love us. Lord, we're going to pray that you'd really bless our time. Lord, if, people are feeling, if we're feeling distant or cold or we're feeling um, close to you, whatever it is, Lord, we're going to pray that you would just address us. Lord, help, help us to be, to be still before you now and to quiet our minds and our hearts and our worries and our thoughts. Lord, if, if we're feeling stressed, if we've, had a, if we've had a busy day, just quieten our souls and quieten our minds. And let's just sit at your feet and listen and use me as your servant to speak truth through me. Help me to get out of the way and you just to talk. So Lord, bless our time we ask. Amen. Um, now I'm guessing um, if you're like me, you don't really like to look silly. I, I hate looking silly. Um, you know, most of us have this image to, uh, to uphold and maintain. We want to, we want to show ourselves as something. Uh, and this, was, this is me and this was really challenged me the other day. I, um, uh, every, every day I uh, head to my office, Piccolo's local cafe, and uh, I, I walk my son, I take my son to school. And I drop him to school, and uh, every day we are either spot on time or late. We are never early. That is, my family is never early anywhere. Uh, we are often late. Um, problem is uh, with this is my son Jet, my oldest boy, is uh, seven. So when I drop him off to school, the teacher gets not upset at him, but upset at me. So I get in trouble. The other day, um, as an example of this, the other day we were, uh, we were watching Chloe in the Olympics, as we do, and uh, she was playing for the gold medal match, but it was in the morning, so I said to Jet, look, stay home from school, we're going to watch the rugby together, bud. And um, some good parenting right there for you, right? So we're an hour late for, the, for school. And I didn't think it was a big deal. It's the Olympics, right? It's the Olympics. Let's just everyone enjoy it. Anyway, when you go to drop off at school, you've got to put a reason for being late on the note. And I'd make fun of Jet and saying, oh, what do you want to put today? Like, you know, lazy daddy, what do you want to write? And, uh, he, and I said, I'm going to write the Olympics, since I wrote the Olympics down. Anyway, I walked into his class, and his teacher doesn't love sport, he loves opera. You know, and that's fine if you, if you like that, but that's not my thing. Anyway, 
And so I walked in and I stood at the door and I saw Jet hand a note to the teacher. He looks at it, he looks at me and goes, You're not going to make this a regular habit, are you, Gavin? <laughs> so, like, I went back at school. Like, I'm not one of your students anyway. I, I, I said, No, sir, and sort of walked out. Like, it's like I'm back at school again, tower to my legs, out of the classroom. Anyway, um, but again, the other day, we were, we were late to school as usual and it was raining and, uh, and, and, uh, and we're hurrying, and uh, I had Jet's hand, we're running, and we're going down towards the steps, and the last step, as, as Katie mentioned today, I, I slipped so bad, I slipped so bad, it was like I was on ice skates, and the last step slipped backwards, and John is already laughing at this, having a great time, thanks man, and fell right back on the bottom step, right on my lower back, Jet's looking down, going, are you okay daddy, and I'm holding his hand, like, he jumped up, and he goes, okay, I'm fine, but my back was so sore, just like hobbling, yeah, it's great, but it's great, but I didn't want to look like an idiot, because, you know, falling over, you look so foolish, I had an image to uphold, thankfully though, because normally there's like 500 kids and all the teachers everywhere, thankfully they'd gone, we were so late, they'd all gone in, so that was a real blessing there from the Lord, uh, but, but uh, it's humiliating, and I, I, find, uh, I find, you know, falling over is humiliating. I've got to say too, I do love watching people fall over. It is my happy place. But, uh, but, uh, but not when I fall over. It's not funny at all. Not funny one bit. And, uh, but, I, but I hate looking silly and I felt really stupid that day from falling over. As I said, no one, no one likes to look silly. Uh, we want to be respectful people, people look up to all the time. Um, and, and this can be really hard, especially for, for those of us who call, call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus. Uh, it can be really hard to, to not look like that when you live out what Jesus calls you to do and to be. And this has been my experience anyway. Let me, let me see if it's your experience. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are, we are in the minority. Uh, if we live out our faith, if we live out what Jesus calls us to be, we're going to be different. Different in the way we think, in the way we act, what our priorities are, how we live. And, and often that will look silly to the world. Really silly. Uh, quite often, I get asked, and when I've, um, if I sit at the cafe, people often say, well, you know, what do you do for a job? Why are you always here? And the other day, I had this with four mums were sitting there saying, you're, you're a dad at the school, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they were sitting there, and they said, what do you do for a job? And I said, oh, guess. And they said, a drug dealer. I'm like, why do you even think that? Anyway, and then I said, and then I said look, I'm a pastor. And I could, I could physically see their face change and their bodies turn away from me as, as I said that. And, and that, that's been, a, that's been my, my experience. Or I get people pitying me and saying, oh, good for you. you know, good for you being a pastor. Uh, you actually believe that stuff? Me too, not really. But, you know, I believe in monkey, flying monkeys too. That, that's what it feels like. I think a follower of Jesus, you, you get treated like you're silly and you're stupid. And especially if you stand up for what Jesus values and affirms, you will definitely look silly. Uh, and when this happens, we, can, we, we feel different, we feel out of place, and we can either shrink back and think, well, you know, um, I don't want to tell anyone about, that I'm a follower of Jesus, let alone try and convince them to come to know Jesus, because it just seems all really quite foolish. It seems far-fetched. And then we start thinking, does it really work anyway? Will anyone believe what I have to say? And what's the point of sharing the gospel with anybody if, if I think it's silly, then they're going to think it's silly, so there's, there's no point to this. We don't want to convince others of it either. And I don't know about you, but, but I don't really, I'm not really a, what people call a natural evangelist. I find it hard to, uh, to share my faith. I often get scared, and that's probably because of what I worry people think of me. But I also don't know what to say. I don't know what to say or how to say it. You know, don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm totally convinced that my job here as a follower of Jesus is to share the good news of the gospel with people. Um, 
You know, Jesus has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, and he's called me to go and tell people of that great news and that great, his great love and his grace. I'm an, I'm an ambassador on, on this earth for him. But I, I, I often get scared. I don't know how to do that when people listen. This afternoon, we're looking at um, a chunk of, of, of a few chapters, 16 to 18, but really uh, Acts 17. We're looking at Paul speaking to a culture that I think is very similar to ours, the, to the, to the uh, Athenian culture. And what I want, want us to look at today is how the Apostle Paul speaks and interacts with a culture that is very similar to ours. I want to look at what lessons we can learn through this servant of God. I just want to try and show you this afternoon. I'm going to, I'm going to try and uh, give you three observations to help you track where I'm going. They're on the screen behind me. <clears throat> and they are um, be heartbroken, be understanding, and be expectant. I think that's what Paul does as he walks through how to share the good news of Jesus with the people who have no idea who he is. Um, we're looking at chapters 16 to 18, but just really briefly, this is Paul's second missionary journey as we travel through the book of Acts. He hits up five cities in his three chapters. Uh, he's now about to hit Europe um, with the gospel. So he goes to Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. Uh, but as I said, we're going to focus just in on Athens. And up until now, he's been sort of visiting rural parts of Asia. But now he's going to head on into Europe. And he hits the commercial centers like Philippi and Thessalonica were the, the big commercial center, centers. Um, Athens was the intellectual center of, of Europe where all thinking and, and new thinking took place. Uh, and then he went to Sin City itself, Corinth. Uh, and he takes the good news of Jesus to these places. And people come to know Jesus in these chapters. Lydia, uh, a, wealthy, a wealthy lady, comes, uh, uh, comes to get saved. And first European convert, a, a slave girl is saved in chapter uh, 16. Uh, saved from, from um, uh, um, a life of dealing with um, the spiritual realm. And then we also get a, a prison warden. Uh, saved as well. Uh, and in this, cha- in this section here, we'll see Paul being uh, oppressed and he'll be um, beaten and he'll be uh, chased out of towns and cities. But what we see is it doesn't stop him from speaking the gospel. The church keeps on growing as has been happening in the book of Acts. But I want to I zero in now on chapter 17, just a few verses, looking at uh, how Paul interacts with Athens. So let me read this for you. Look the screen behind me. It says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and those who worship God, and in every marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Others replied, he he seemed to be preaching a foreign deity because he was telling the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. They took, him to, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of? For what you sound, I say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. And all the Athenians and foreigners uh, residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling and hearing something new. Paul arrives in this city in Athens. Uh, he's been, uh, he's been uh, beaten in Philippi. He's been chased out of Thessalonica, and he lands in Athens by himself. And he's there. And he's at the center of, uh, of all intellectual and philosophical discussion in the, in the ancient world. He's in Athens. And he's waiting there for his crew to arrive. Silas and, uh, and Timothy are going to come. But while he's waiting, he explores the city, as you do whenever you reach a new city. Of course, you explore. And he goes and explores this new city of Athens. And as he's there, what he sees is, 
in Centre 16, it says a city full of idols. So big, big statues, uh, temples, um, all, that, the, all these foreign gods that are worshipped are there in this new city. Name them, they're there, and there people worship these idols and gods, false gods. And Paul sees what's going on in this city and thinks, well, I've got to interact with this. So he doesn't wait for Silas and Timothy. He goes at it. He's not intimidated by this city's reputation. Uh, he knows the true God. He knows he's on his side. and He knows his mission. So he goes and he starts with the synagogues and the marketplace with the Jews and those who, who knew God. But then he goes in and, and, and interacts with the, uh, the Epicureans and the, and the philosoph- uh, Stoic philosophers. And they make fun of him. And they say things like, you know, you, you think you're so smart. You know, look at you foolish man talking about a guy rose from the dead. And he gets mocked. And he gets made fun of. And he's not respected at all. But he's not put off. He continues. And some of the locals are interested in this because uh, it's a new teaching. They say, well, it's a foreign god, so we want to know a little bit more. They're, they're, they're inquisitive about this. And so they invite him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus would have been a place where uh, it used to be before Paul. It was used as a, a judicial court where the, the, they would judge over court cases. But in Paul's day, it was more a place of a council meeting for, for uh, members to sit around and to be uh, in control of all things, of education and the city's religion and, and morals. And so Paul is asked to come to the Areopagus to speak about this new foreign god that he's speaking about. And so he goes. Before, before we get to that, I just want to stop and pause for a second and look what Paul does first. When he gets to this city, I want, to, I want to look at what he does. So he arrives, and he's in a foreign city. He knows no one. He's been beaten, and he's at the center of all intellectual thinking. He could have felt very intimidated. He's been, just been made fun of. Uh, but he could have felt intimidated, but he doesn't. He goes, and he speaks. The question is, what motivates him to do so? Let me show you verse uh, sentence 16 again on the screen. Because while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw the city was full of idols. Now, this word troubled, Paul is troubled, I don't think it grabs what is really going on here. It's not like, oh, darn, I'm troubled. That's not what's going on. It's more like he's, he's deeply distressed. He's in anguish. He's angry. He's irritated. It's a deep emotion that he's feeling as he saw this city full of idols. Why was he so upset? Why so troubled? Let me try to illustrate this. I wonder if you ever had the thing uh, uh, happen to you where someone else is taking credit for something you have done. Um, my brother is older than me, older brother. He's a carpenter, a builder. And uh, he, he was mentioning to me one time this, that, that happened to him. Uh, he, he, a while ago, he used to work on some of those TV shows, you know, um, where they would do a renovation on someone's house in two days or at someone's backyard up, whatever. He was one of the carpenters on those shows. And so one time he was working on the show Backyard Blitz and uh, he had to build this huge deck by himself. And he was, and he was, you know, working, you know, 15, 16 hour days to get this deck done all by himself. And, uh, and he'd almost done it. And then uh, he was working really hard. Then one of the hosts walks over to him and says, hey, Anthony, you know, what, what have you been doing here and how much more you got to go? And what, what, do you, what do you have to do going forward? My brother tells him. And the host says, well, can you just pass me a nail gun for a second? And the host grabs the nail gun, calls the cameras over, and then it says to the camera what my brother told him verbatim. And then says to the camera, you know, look, I've been building this deck the whole time. I've got a few more nails to go. And he shoots two nails in, and then he goes, we're almost done. Camera stop. He hands the nail gun back to my brother and goes, keep the good work up, mate, and walks away. Um, 
<laughs> that was my brother uh, with one of the hosts trying to claim his work for what he'd done on the show. And uh, um, my brother, being the good guy that he was, just kept on working. But that's horrible, right? Someone taking, getting the thanks that he deserved for all the work he'd done. It's horrible. And here the Apostle Paul walks in Athens and he sees all these false gods and these temples and these statues and being honored. And he's angry. Why is he angry? Because the Apostle Paul knows there is but one God whom every single person should be worshipping and honoring. He's jealous. He has a jealousy for God's name and God's honor and God's fame. Paul wholeheartedly believes what, uh, what John says in Revelation 4.11 on the screen behind me. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive all glory, honor, and power, for you create all things, and by your will I'll have their being. The Apostle Paul believes that. He knows that God made all things, that means all things, all created things, owe their allegiance to one God, just that God. And he knows there's nothing in all creation that God cannot say, mine. And this is the fact what drives Paul on to preach Jesus in this city. Paul is motivated. He's willing to face trials and beatings and even death for the glory of God and for the supremacy of Christ over all things. We see in Acts 17, Paul engaging with an unbelieving culture of this day. And I would say, as you think hard about this culture and what was going on in Athens, that it's not too dissimilar to ours. Yeah, we don't walk around the city, we don't, we don't walk around Sydney or Balmain or wherever and, and see statues and temples and, and whatever and shrines. We do see people worshipping. The, 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 the idols and the gods of our day don't have the same name, they're a little different. We now call them the gods of money or god of self or the god of career or the god of success or whatever it is, whatever we call them. But we all worship and we all sacrifice to these gods. Our time, our money, our thought, our treasure... We all do it. And I love, I love what we learn here from the Apostle Paul. If we're going to obey God's call to be his people in our culture, to, to speak of him, then our, then our motivation to get people from worshipping false gods to the true God is he motivated about God's glory throughout the whole earth. To begin with his glory, his supremacy over all things. We need to so treasure Jesus have a jealousy for him to be honoured that it drives us to take his name and fame to the world. No matter what the cost. So if it doesn't start with God and his honour, then we'll quickly lose motivation. I want to ask you, do, do you really believe Revelation 4.11? I'm going to bring it on the screen again. Do you really believe what John says in here? Do you believe that God is worthy, he is owed, that he, he deserves all honor and power from every single person on the planet. Because he created all things. Do you believe in Colossians 1, where it says that Jesus sustains all things? Do you believe that Jesus sustains all things? That he sustains every breath, every heartbeat? That he is the one who makes the sun rise and the sun set each day? He, he is the one who gives every bit of life and fun and experience. It's all sustained by him. I love when you read Job 38, 39 and 40, where it talks about God doing so many things we never know about. He says in, in Matthew that uh, not even a bird falls from a tree without him knowing. He's the one who holds life and death in his hand. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, and the end. He's the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Even when we had run away, 
He's the one who enters his own creation as a man who suffers for, for sin in my place, pays my price, dies my death, so that I can receive his righteous life. He's worthy of all glory, honor, and power. He's worthy of my life, my praise, my worship, and he deserves everything about him. And I wonder if we believe this. This is what drives the Apostle Paul on. This is what drives him on to come preach this message of good news to the world. Because every knee deserves to bow to this God. And I think if, we, if we're going to be a church and be a people who, who go and make disciples, who share the good news to the world, we need to be motivated, firstly, with who, by who God is and His praise the world needs to give him. But I want to keep moving on and I want to get to the heart of what this passage uh, is, is on about. And Paul's, Paul's speech, Paul's engagement uh, with uh, this culture in the Areopagus. This is my second point, be understanding. And, and, and I, want to, I want to just walk through sentences 22 to 31. I want to show you how he engages and understands the culture that he's, engaged, that he's, that he's interacting with. Um, Paul's just been mocked and disrespected and so, uh, by these people, but he doesn't walk away. He walks into the arena. Uh, he doesn't back down, even though he's pitied. And he engages with them, not through anger or, or disrespect, but trying to win them. Look, look where he starts. He says this in sentence, uh, uh, sentence 22. He says, Men of Athens, I see you are extremely religious in every respect. And see, he starts here by just trying to engage them. He's building a bridge with them. He's trying to find common ground. He was probably still a little bit angry, but he just didn't blaze away and say, well, you make fun of me, well, Jesus will come and get you. Like, that's not what he's doing here. He's not blazing away. He's just, he's engaging them. He's engaging them. He resonates with them. He's showing respect for their pursuit of spirituality. But then once he does that, he moves to correct it. He moves to correct it. Sentence 23, for as far, uh, for, uh, as I was passing through and observing the object of your worship, I haven't found an altar uh, on which was inscribed to an unknown God. And therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. They pursued a top of spirituality, and there was a gap in their thinking that needed to be filled. And so Paul's saying, well, let me fill that gap for you. Um, he he's, he's, isn't confronting their beliefs in a full frontal attack. He's observing and seeing, and then trying to engage through that. He knows they worship idols, and that's an affront to God, but he, he's doing whatever he can to win some for Jesus. But how, how is he going to do this? These, these people, these Athenians, would have, wouldn't have known Jesus. They say he's a foreign deity. They would never read the Bible. So how is he going to engage them? Look what he does. He doesn't even start by citing Bible passages. He starts at the very beginning. He starts with the most fundamental relationship anyone can have, uh, creator and creation. He paraphrases Genesis 1, sentence 24 and 25. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, including us, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in shrines made by hands. He is the one who gives life and breath in all things. Paul is saying, you, you guys are on a spiritual quest, but let's talk about this spiritual quest and, and get the framework of starting with the creator God of truth. He's saying, you guys make your own gods and worship them. He's saying, no, no, God made you and you worship him. That's how this works. Look at sentence 26, 27. He says, from one man he has made every nation of men to live all over the earth. And it's determined their appointed times and the boundaries in which they live, so they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each of us. And then he goes on, he doesn't even quote scripture. What he does is, he quotes their own poets back to them. And uses their poets 
to show them who God really is. He's resonating again with them. And understands the time and the culture that he's in. 28 and 29 says this, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. So again, he's resonating with them and saying, your own poets say this. Then he shows them the truth. And then at the end, he challenges them. Sentence 31 and 30, 31, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world by righteousness, by the man he appointed. He has provided proof of this by raising him from the dead, which is Jesus. He starts this idea of resonating with them, they're spiritual. Then he goes to this idea of they are creatures connected to the Creator and they're dependent on Him. And then he ends by saying, but you're accountable for this relationship. This is how he engages with this culture. He affirms them, but then he challenges them. He makes sure he understands who they are and their cultural beliefs, then shows them a better way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. As you know, I have uh, my oldest son, Jet, is uh, is seven, and he just turned seven a few weeks ago. He's in this phase where he's just an expert on everything. He's he's a bit of a know-it-all. And I love him dearly, but this is his phase he's in. So from, from how to use computers, to animals, to French to pronunciation, and to my favourite at the moment, to how to drive a car, as he's an expert at that at the moment. And it's, this one, last one, drives me a little crazy. He has this thirst for knowledge, which I really love, and he reads a lot, and he thinks a lot, and he wants to understand. Um, but he's in this phase where we're driving, driving down the road, and he'll read every traffic sign, and I won't understand it, and then he'll warn me about that as I'm driving. His latest one, he said, that we're driving along in the car, and he said, Dad... How fast are you going? I, and I said, I didn't, I don't think I, I mentioned anything to him. And he said, look, I saw an 80 sign and it feels like you're going a lot faster than 80, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think Katie said at that point, Katie said, Jet, you can trust your dad to drive safely. You know, uh, and then I think at one point I hit 81. He's like, you hit 81. Slow down, Dad, slow down. And then even like I think a little while ago, I was trying to reverse park and he was trying to tell me how to do that. And it drives me crazy. He doesn't have his license. He only just got out of his booster seat. Really, like, his feet can't reach the pedals yet. And he's trying to tell me how to drive the car, and he presumes he knows better than me. And it drives me a little crazy. And uh, I, think, uh, I think sometimes we can be like my son. I think we, we love to give advice. Uh, when we know a little, we, we assume we know a lot. We love to tell others what they don't know. And I love what Paul does here. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't drop the whole truth on this, these, these Athenians straight away. He loves them because he wants them to win for Christ. He understands them. He doesn't assume anything about them. He listens, he watches, he observes, he understands. And he's gentle. And he doesn't blaze away, but he thinks, how can I uphold them and create this bridge with them and resonate with them and then show them the better way of the gospel? And he challenges them with the truth. You know, I, I, as I said, I sit a lot at a, a cafe down there in, uh, in, in Roselle, and I love sitting and I love observing and listening and watching to what happens in this cafe. Um, and as I said, I've often found it interesting. People want to talk. If you sit long enough, people want to talk to you. I had a lady the day, and I had my Bible out, and I was doing my sermon, 
And she looked at my Bible and she looked at me and said, don't you find religion boring? <laughs> and, um, and we chatted for like an hour. And she'd been in a cult growing up. And we talked. And I asked her questions and questions and questions and questions. And I got to understand this person's story. And I could talk to her about how I didn't think it was boring. And how the, it's, I think the Bible's about Jesus and a better hope. I think just listening and understanding... I don't, know, I don't know if you, but I, it's, it, you don't come across many good listeners anymore. People really listen really well. But I, I don't know if you, but when someone listens to you really well, I, I, for me, I feel so loved and understood because they listen and they ask good questions and they want to know about me and they have time for me. And it makes me want to talk to them and trust them and open up and tell them all the things that's going on in my life, in my head. And, because I don't think it doesn't happen very often. They want to know about me. And what makes me tick, and I want to share with them. And you know, I think as followers of Jesus, we, we, we should be the best listeners. To understand, to listen, get to the heart of the matter. I don't know, for me, I always feel like people, we always act out of our beliefs. We can always understand something. We, we do things, but to get to the heart of something is, 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 is where it all happens. And to understand someone, we need to get to, that, get to the core of them. Where our hopes and our desires come from. I think as we listen and understand people... And, and engage with them, and as they share their hopes and desires, we can share with them that actually all their hopes and desires and purpose we find in Christ. I don't know about you, but I truly believe that the gospel is the answer for everything. And as I get older, I say that more and more and more. And I want, I want to be a person that listens so much to someone that can show them what they're truly searching for is Jesus. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity on every single heart. That's why he's created everybody. We all have this existential cry in us, trying to find something outside of ourselves. We're trying to fill this thing that we just won't, won't get filled in us. I truly believe that is for a relationship with God. And that's where peace and hope and happiness is truly found in that. And I love what Acts 7 shows us here, what Paul does here. He listens, he understands. And then he shows them this unknown God is really, the, is really the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe. And in him is what, what they're looking for. And he does that by listening, understanding, and valuing each individual person. And I want to say, like, I, I've been challenged, I've been thinking about this, that if we're going to be a church that makes disciples and, and shares the good news and outward focusing, we've got to be people who love and care and who listen and spend time and, and resonate with what's going on around us. Not being withdrawn from culture, or, or, or shunning it, but actually thinking hard about it and engaging with it in a way that we can honour Jesus with. But thirdly and finally, be expectant. Um, as Paul is engaged here in this and he speaks the gospel, um, uh, chapters, uh, sentence 32 and 34 show us that people respond. Let me just read this for you quickly on the screen. 32 to 34 say this, When they had heard the resur- about the resurrection of Jesus... Again, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their presence. However, some men believed, and among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named uh, Demarius, and others with them. Three responses. Some mocked, made fun of him. That's what he got again. Uh, some wanted to say, look, I want to hear more. I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I want to know more about what, what you're saying here. And the last one is people follow him. There's responses. And uh, I think as I read this, and I think this week, then I think response number one, mocked, is what I fear. So I don't often say anything to anyone because I'm, I'm afraid of being ridiculed. Um, 
which then can lead you know, to, to denial and the effect that the gospel will change anyone anyway. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that I don't see enough people coming to know Jesus, so I often think that the, the message is the problem. That the, that the gospel can't save anybody. It's just words. How does that change anyone's heart? And I've, I've tried to challenge this thought recently because if I say that, it makes my God to be a liar. Because let me show you a verse. Romans 1.16, the screen. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God uh, that brings salvation to all people. I challenge myself, do I believe that? Do I really believe that the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection for me in my place, will that save? You know, there's people in my life who have, I've been trying to love for years and years and years, and they, they're not, not getting it. I think, can the gospel really save? Do I believe this? Do I believe that God will save someone when I speak the gospel to them? Do we believe that God can save anyone through hearing the good news of Jesus through us? Do we believe the greatest need of people that we know and love is to, for them to come and know Jesus? Do we believe that every single human being on this planet is made for a relationship with their Creator? And no matter who they are, how far they've gone, how far they've wandered, what they're doing now in their life, no matter how far they've run from God, that He can bring them back through His grace. Do we believe that? Do we believe God when he says, for I, the gospel is the power to save? Do we believe that? It's something I've been trying to think hard for myself. I want to challenge us to think, do we believe the gospel, speaking the gospel to people is what they need to hear, and God can and will save through that? Now we see here in Acts 17 and through the life of Paul that uh, the gospel divides, it brings responses out, people either believe or others are, uh, mock and reject and Jesus says in John 15, well, expect this. If they reject me, they're going to reject you anyway. So you've got to expect that. We respect the response and that shouldn't deter us. That's where the message of life. But we, we here at City Light, we, 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 aren't, we don't shrink back from this message of the gospel. And showing, and showing gospel love and care to anyone who needs it. Uh, we're going to do what we think is in line with the scriptures, in line with the gospel, to care for those in need or who have no voice, even if, even if that makes us unpopular. That's the sort of church we are and want to be. In Acts 17 and Genesis 2, it says all people are made in the image of God. That means that every single person created is valuable in God's sight because they are made in His image, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, their cultural background, whatever, whatever religion they are, God cares for them because they're made in His image. So as God cares for them, as His people, as His church, we care for them until we value them and love them. We've been saying over the last little while, in this series, we want to keep talking about the goals that we have as a church um, in our church 2018 vision, which we've been talking about a bit. And one of the goals I just want to mention today is we want to be a church that is outward-focused, that is outward-focused as a church. And we said at the start of the year, we decided that we would give 20% of our budget away from church, away from City Light, being an outward-facing community, speaking and living out gospel generosity and grace. Uh, and we've been mentioning some of the organisations we want to give to, but just for, the, just, just for today I want to mention we're giving away 5% to uh, poverty alleviation and development. We want to support organisations that don't simply make us popular, um, but rather organisations that care for those who are in need, those who are made in the image of God but who are in need and have no voice. So we've decided to support two organisations, and it shouldn't be a surprise to you, we've talked about it a lot, the Giving God at the Back, um, the Asylum Seekers Centre at Newtown, and diamond pregnancy. Um, 
Uh, the Asylum Seekers Center, Asylum Seekers Center is a non-for-profit organization that provides practical and personal support for asylum seekers living in community who have often uh, no, no means of um, social services and they're just placed in a house with, with nothing else. And uh, we want to support them and they're in desperate need of resources. And also we want to support Diamond Pregnancies, uh, which is a non-for-profit organization that seeks to provide free help and support to women and families who are facing unpl- unplanned pregnancies. Uh, we want to support both these organizations. Uh, they do such great work. Um, and we, we decided at the start of the year to give $7,000 to each of them. And we met up with a little lady from Diamond Pregnancy, and she was blown away by that. They're, they're in such a... They have so much... So many people calling them, asking for help. They can't keep up with it. They need more resources. So we decided as a church to give $7,000 to them this year. And at the start of the year, we said that... If we, we broke it down on, based on per member, and we said that... If, if we were to reach these target, this, this target of $7,000 uh, for, for this one organization, it would take us, each of us to give $0.84 cents a week to reach our target. I was talking to um, the guy who runs our finances this morning, Mark Duke. I said, oh, Mark, how are we going at that? And he said, I said, oh, you know, we're halfway there. And he said, look, we've only hit 10% of what we wanted to give, which, um, which is a bit worrying. We want to keep talking about this stuff because um, I want to keep us, I want us as a church, as lead pastor, I want to keep modeling us to be a church that is generous, that is outward focused, that in light of the gospel and, and, and loves and shows that every person uh, in the image of God is valuable. Being a church that both speaks the gospel and shows the gospel, even if it makes us unpopular. So we have some. We talked about this idea of having, you know, we have our general giving and this 20% giving, and at the moment the 20% giving isn't being touched even. And uh, I want to encourage you, and this is what my wife and I are going to do this week, is to reassess your generosity this week. Now, if you're here new, we don't often talk about money ever, <laughs> so you come on an interesting week, but we, we very rarely talk about money here. And, uh, and if, you're, if you're not a member here, please don't hear us saying that we, just, we want to be loving, we don't want any money. But as a member of this church, if this is your church, and it's what we decided to do, I'd love you to reassess your generosity. And I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 is that um, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. I don't care if it's 10 cents or a dollar. I don't even want to know how much you give. It's between you and God to work that out. And I want to, see this. I want to say that generosity is not just, you know, you've got to tithe or whatever. Generosity is actually a gospel issue reflecting the, 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 the grace that God has shown you and how can I be generous out that way? teaching a good theology of, of generosity. I'm a steward of the God. If God owns everything in the world, if everything is God's, then he's given me money and said, now use it for my glory. That's how I'm going to think of it. And that's really hard in our culture, but that's what my wife and I are going to chat out this week, is how can we be more generous? And we want to challenge and push ourselves on that. But I want to say, I want us to be pushing ourselves as a church, to be giving away. This is not, this money I'm, we're talking about here is 20%. It's not about trying to get more staff members or getting Jez and I pay rise. It's not about that at all. It's like giving away to, to organizations that are doing such good work in our community that need, need to be supported. And we want to do that as a church. So from now on, we're going we're gonna to try and keep you updated month by month how this is going. We've got a bit of work to do here. We're, we're, we're a fair way behind the eight ball already to hit these numbers. But I, I'm, I'm confident we can do that as a church. We can, we can do this to give away uh, 20% of our budget away from, from City Light. Uh, I want us to be a church that, under, that lives in light and understand and lives 
their lives in light of God's glory, the supremacy of Jesus over all things, that understands our time, our culture, and speaks the gospel into that, but also shows love and generosity being an outward-facing community. That's the desire for our church here at City Life, um, what we want to be doing. I want to invite the band up to lead us in um, singing praise to God, but as we say every week here, we don't want to just move off, because I think there's a lot of things I've said in there, that God has said in, the, in Acts 17, where I want to give you time to just ponder for yourself. You might need to pray about your heart. You might need to pray for people who don't know Jesus. You might want whatever it is. I want to give you some time before we rush off. If, if, if God addresses each of us when the Bible is open, he's spoken to you this afternoon. My question is, are you listening? Have you heard? And what changes do you want to make in light of what he said to you? So let me give you a few minutes now before we, before we sing to spend time just you and God to reflect on what he just said to you.